Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic University podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Canton III, and we are here today to discuss another entry into the Marvel Cinematic Universe's uh, movie bank, Thor Love and Thunder, directed by Taika Waititi. Oh my gosh, the fourth Thor film. I can't believe it. Thor. It's a, it, 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 yeah, it has, it, it has come <laughs> and, and it has gone. And we're here to talk about it. That voice you hear is the super producer. Jake Christie is in the house. Jake, how are you? I'm doing super well. How are you, AC? I'm good. I'm feeling great. Can't wait to talk about this movie. Uh, we have our guy uh, from Murphy's Multiverse, Hunter Radice, is in the building this evening. Hunter, how are you, sir? I am doing wonderful. I'm doing so good. Thank you guys for having me. Of course, of course. And yes, this movie, we were fortunate enough, uh, all of us. Well, first, to... we should mention that Jerome is still in an undisclosed location. We did oh, record yes. another pod before this. So you might have forgotten to mention that he's in yes, an undisclosed yes, location. Yes, 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 yes. He will be back next week. That is the important thing to note. Yes, he will. Yeah, he will be back next week. Shout out to Black Dragon Roll, a.k.a. Jerome Chang. We will see you soon. But yes, this movie... Um, I want to get into general thoughts first, but I will say that we all were fortunate to see a screening of this movie, uh, press screening. Uh, Hunter, this was the second time uh, seeing the movie, so I will get your general thoughts first. What did you think of Thor Love and Thunder? I really loved it. Um, I think especially what stands out about this movie to me is, well, first of all, it's just, it's just a blast from, from beginning mm -hmm. to end. Like it's, it truly just cooks like all the way through. Um, and for me, I just, I like that. I think it's one of the most like comic booky comic book movies that we've seen come out of the MCU. I mean, like multiverse of madness was pretty comic booky with those like souls of the damned becoming a cape and all mm -hmm. that fun stuff. But I just, I really love a movie that is like, we are based on comics and we're not going to try to ground this in reality any more than the plot demands. Like, we're going to let it be goofy and we're going to do ridiculous things and we're going to have, you know, gods and aliens and all that crazy stuff and just really rip through it. And I, I just, I love that so much. I had so much fun both times I watched it. And, and Jake, how about you? General thoughts on the film? I just think that it was a ton of fun. Um, and like genuinely funny in ways like not like sarcastically funny, just like actually funny moments and really, um, didn't really miss a beat to have a fun moment. Uh, and I agree with what you're saying, Hunter, about it being very comic booky, especially that it's like very, you know, going from place to place to place type thing. Um, and yeah, it just, the pacing of it, it just like was nonstop. Like, there are a couple stops, actually, but, like, it was, <laughs> there weren't, like, dull moments. Like, it really felt like um, Taika had a really good handle on the audience enjoyment at every moment. And, uh, you know, I was, in, I was enraptured, and there were so many fun things in it, fun 
you know, cameos, fun details. Like yeah. it just like was really, um, I think like the, the platonic ideal of a crowd pleasing MCU movie, like not every MCU movie can or should be what it is, but like, it really is like, it is a crowd pleaser in an authentic way. Um, and it's like that Taika has got magic in at this point. Like he's just, you know, not just for his MCU stuff. I mean, he just, he, he, I think has a better handle on what people under 40, enjoy and laugh at than almost anyone working um because it's the perfect mix of it is incredibly funny and at no point ever insincere which is a thing that i think is super valued among young people and he just gets oh yeah i i like the point you bring up about sincerity too it's just like it is very much for, for a movie that is as funny and bonkers as it is like you know, love and thunder is, is the title. And if, if thunder is the vibe, like love is what's keeping all of it together. And Mm -hmm. I, I really liked that. I mean, when it does need to slow down, it it slows down, but it never feels like it's slowing down for the sake of, you know, having a serious moment or, or anything like that. Like all of it feels so earned and organic. And like you said, sincere, which I think is is such a good word. And the thing too, is that the humor is not biting. The humor is a lot of laughing with the characters or like, it's not, you, it, 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 there's no sour humor in it. It's all done in good fun. And like, that is a thing that I think is hard to nail. Um, but yeah, I, it just, it's made me feel good to watch in like, in a really unironic way. It's, you know, I, I found myself as I was watching this movie feeling similarly. And I talked to my brother, uh, shout out to Raph, who I saw the movie with as well at the theater. The comic book nature uh, to Hunter's point earlier it really does feel this way. And I think the easier thing that the MCU has been allowed to do is because of the fact that we have so many appearances by, in the in one case, Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness, and here with Thor, they've had so many appearances now that we don't need to kind of get into some long, drawn-out mm-hmm. um, story kind of explaining where we need to go. We can just drop in and we can just go. And that leads to your point, Jake, about the, the pacing and how you, you just dropped in you're going and it's hit, 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 hit. It doesn't feel like it's going too fast, but it's just a lot of fun. It doesn't feel like it's plotting or stopping or anything of that nature. I think if you had to kind of like describe an overall general feeling for me is that um, it is gratifying to see uh, Natalie Portman after her performance in uh, Thor The Dark World. Uh, be able to come back and and have a performance like this one because I thought it was genuinely heartfelt um, in a lot of ways while we have Hemsworth's uh, just natural humor and and everything that comes from him, the Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie character, just tremendous as well. Like there's a lot of characters that we can discuss in this film, but I do have to say that Natalie Portman to me, like in a in a storyline that's, not only comic book a comic book adaptation but at the same time it's just a it's a kind of a for a movie like this in terms of Taika's um personality and and how you can see it throughout the movie to be able to fit in a cancer storyline and do it and make it seem real and emotional and poignant at all times but yet still able to keep that heart keep that funniness keep that humor all in at the same time. I think it was a credit to, you know, not only Tyka and everybody else around Natalie, but um, 
Yeah, I thought she did a great job, man. And I actually kind of want to start with her. I wanted to get your thoughts on on her uh, specifically. Jake, I'll start with you. It obviously was a low bar to clear after (laughs) Thor The Dark World, for sure. (laughs) What did you think of her performance here? I was trying to find it because someone had tweeted at me, who someone who was going back through our old pods, um, like a couple months ago, tweeted at me and said something that I had said something to the effect of, I'll sprout wings and fly away before Natalie Portman returns to the MCU. I think that's something I might have said in the Thor The Rock World pod. Uh, and so I got to eat crow for that. Um, and I'm so <laughs> glad that I do because she had... The thing that I was worried about was that we would get a movie that was like everyone else having a lot of fun. And even if Natalie Portman was giving a good performance, she would be giving like a severe, serious one because, you know, Natalie Portman, I think is an incredible actress. I think, I think she's not really known for is being fun and that's not her fault. I mean, plenty of people are not good at being fun in movies. Um, but I think that's, she definitely just was completely on the wavelength of the movie. Um, and was able to balance, uh, the pathos of the cancer storyline while, while playing the humor and the thing about it is that because like I was saying how heartfelt and sincere it is, the humor and the cancer storyline are not separate. Like that's the important thing about it. It didn't feel like they took a dramatic movie and then just put a bunch of jokes in it. Like the, the humor, her humor and her sunniness and all that you, we eventually learn, you know, obviously is like a response to not wanting to look death in the face, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so like the way that she managed to be on the movie's wavelength but not for no reason. She was on the movie's wavelength because of what her character was going through. I felt like was really powerful and made the scenes where she was the, when there was no humor really work. Cause it didn't feel like she was breaking character. It felt like this was in line yeah. with what we were seeing previously. There just was no jokes. Um, but also, I mean, we talked about it before with respectfully, I mean, drop the workout, Natalie. I mean, just incredible stuff. Just, she, I, I can't, it's unbelievable. Unfucking believable. And Natalie Portman got yoked for a movie. <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> Hunter, uh, tell us what you thought of um, Natalie's performance as uh, Jane Foster as she unfortunately perishes in this film. Um, yeah, she she does die, which I would love to talk about more later when we, when we get there. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's going to be a lot of what Jake just said, but in sort of different words. I mean, my the joke that I've made a lot lately, I think I even said it to you guys after the movie yesterday, was that it, like when you watch those first two Thor movies, it very much does feel like Natalie Portman is there against her will, especially in the dark world. Like, it's so clear she doesn't want to be there, and that comes through in the movie. It, it affects the performances. You know, there really wasn't a lot of chemistry with Chris Hemsworth, uh, you know, there's that famous story that for like the post credit scene, they couldn't even, where they like reunite and kiss, they couldn't even get the kiss right. So they had to bring in like Chris Hemsworth's actual wife. In- I don't think that's because they couldn't get the kiss right. I believe it was because of a reshoot and Natalie Portman wasn't available, but that is Chris Hemsworth's wife. Um, I don't yeah. think it was, yeah. But okay, yeah. So, I mean, whatever, whatever the case being, like, at least in my opinion, like the chemistry just wasn't there in, in those sure. movies, uh, all that sort of stuff. But here, I think I, I wrote in my review, which will be, I think be out by the time people hear this. Uh, it feels a lot of the time, like the only people having more fun than the audience is the cast. Like it just, you, it feels like everyone making this movie 
yeah. was loving it, which adds a, a, that extra layer of, you know, like, we're having fun, they're having fun, everyone's having a good time, let's just, like, smile our way through this. And, and to Jake's point, um, you know, they do the cancer storyline, and it does not feel inserted in. It feels very organic. Uh, and also to Jake's point, you know, it feels like the way they have Jane reacting to it, like the humor is still there, but the sadness is also still so heavy in those scenes. And so much of it comes from like, we as human beings, you know, like if I had cancer, I wouldn't just be sitting there sobbing all the time. Like, it's just, you have to have that humor. You have to be able to laugh through stuff like that. Otherwise, like, it's just too much darkness. And, and I really do like that that felt so organically human um, in the movie. I mean, for what I said earlier about this being a very bonkers, out-of-this-world, comic booky, colorful movie, it, it really is that that cancer storyline, and it really is Natalie Portman who, who brings a lot of that humanity to it all and kind of, like, brings it back down and, and connects it to something that we can all relate to and, and feel and have sympathy for. Um, and of course that has so much to do with the fact that she is an incredible actress. Um, but yeah, I just, I was so, I was so thrilled. Uh, cause I, I was in that same boat as a lot of people being like, I don't think she's ever coming back to the MCU. And like, Jane is just like not a character they seem to care about that much. So it's like, you know, it just kind of happened, but I'm just, I'm so thrilled at how, how well, not only that she came back and that it was good, but just how good it was. Yeah, for sure. And it makes me think back to uh, a pod we did when Comic-Con announced that this movie was coming out back then, friend of the show, Nitz, um, when I let her know that Thor Love and Thunder was going to have Natalie Portman on. She did a very jokey, jokey, um, Natalie Portman's the best type of thing. Um, and I will love to, I have to say it's it's great how far we've come. From from that from that from that moment, I, to... I don't know what it's going to be because we're doing this before the movie came out. I am when you are on vacation, I absolutely am going to try to book nits for a follow up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, so yeah, I just this movie is a lot of fun, um, and I think that like if you're somebody who loved Thor Ragnarok, and I think for a good portion of people Thor Ragnarok was if you go on MCU lists of best MCU movies, it's in a lot of people's top five. However, there are, there are a few, I would say there's a segment of people who have a different take on, on uh, what these movies have been the last two. uh, Basically as far as the whole, like, can we go back to Thor the warrior can we go back to Thor being a little bit more serious and stuff yeah, like, like that? Shakespearean vibe. Yeah, the whole Shakespearean vibe. Which, by the way, I don't get me wrong. Like the first one, I actually liked. I I, I like that aspect with Loki and the back and forth between the two. I think that stuff was fun. But what Taika ca- uh, captures with not only Ragnarok but this one is is able to bring something out of Chris Hemsworth that i think i think makes thor such a such a tentpole character in the mcu to where you kind of want to see him in everything because he just brings he brings that natural just uh not only comedic charm but 
just everything that comes with him. And I guess we could talk a little bit about Thor's journey because mm-hmm. in this in in this film, he's in a place where he's you know after Endgame, he obviously gets on the workout plan and uh, he's losing the he's losing the weight, getting back to normal, and he just seems like. He just seems cool. He's chill. He's hanging out with the Guardians and just having a grand old time. But it, but you were going to say something, Jake? I was going to say, well, there's two things. One, I, I want to just add that I think using Chris Hemsworth in the way they do in the first two Thors and in the Avengers is like when there's a super athletic quarterback who gets drafted into a very under center team. And it's yes. like you're not using his skills correctly. But I also think the thing about him in this movie is that not unlike a lot of the people in real life who are quote unquote super chill – they're not so much super chill as they are empty inside. And he's like, yeah. it's, I like that. Not only is he pretending to be, it's not that he's pretending to be super chill. It's that everyone within two feet of him knows that he is lying to himself. <laughs> that it's like, he's not, it's not, he's not, it's, there's no big reveal of like, I feel shitty. It's like, yeah, of course you feel shitty. You, you're acting, you know, like you feel shitty. And so <laughs> I think that, this is a, a fun but also interesting place to go with him because obviously he had the whole he got over what he ate a lot and got depressed and he's now kind of past the depression part of it. But clearly the fact that he lost basically everyone he ever loved is still going to weigh on him. And I like that they kind of um, made that like verbalized that it's this that's not the subtext of the movie. It's the text of the movie. Yeah, there's something to be said for actually finding your place once a big battle is won like what happened in endgame like where and it's literally the question that it seems like chris hemsworth kind of asks himself when he does interviews about the character and continuing to play the character um hunter what did you think of of thor's journey what it what it's looked like in this film and um how, how you've seen like the evolution of hemsworth in this role Right. I am so glad that you asked, AC. Um, so first I'll bring up that the press conference that, that recently happened that, you know, everyone was like writing up articles on about there, there was a line in there that Kevin Feige said that I thought was really interesting um, where he kind of mentioned that like sort of what Jake just said, like he, he had the realization that they were using Chris Hemsworth wrong and, <laughs> um, during Avengers Age of Ultron. Uh, he said there's that scene where he's trying to like comfort Bruce Banner and he's like, oh yes, you like killed all the guys and it's like the, the whole thing. And then he's like, the way that Chris played that scene was so good and he did it so naturally and it was so funny and it like clicked with Feige in that moment of, oh, this, like we can use this guy like this and we can make mm-hmm. Thor that character who's like, he is a warrior and he is pure of heart uh, and he does love people and want to help them, but he is also kind of a himbo and like, that's so lovable <laughs> and great. And Hemsworth can do that super well. And, and from that point on, that's where we start getting stuff like Ragnarok and we start getting kind of how we see him in Endgame, and, you know, especially how we see him in love and thunder. And to the point of his evolution as a character, I did really want to talk about, uh, for me, the, the mental health aspect of the character is so mm-hmm. huge because, I mean, first of all, I think it's a insanely important thing to talk about and have in your big blockbuster right. movies and all that sort of thing. But I know like there was concern. I mean, there was concern on my end too when it seemed apparent they were sort of just going to very quickly ditch the 
you know, him like gaining weight and having that depression. And, and there, there always is a worry that they're going to be like, okay, he had bad mental health in this movie, but now he's fine. And he's, he's on to his fixed. next thing. What do you mean? He won the battle. Of course, mental health is absolutely always about your external circumstances and doesn't stick exactly. with you. What are you talking about, Hunter? <laughs> exactly. And like my, my fear was that they were going to do that. And they're going to be like, well, he beat Thanos. So why is he still sad? Uh, but obviously in real, in real life, like, that's not how that works. You're not, you don't just, you know, like, I could get a promotion in my job, but still be super depressed. Like, it's not, it, that, those two things don't relate. Um, so I was really glad that even though they made him just an absolute, like, hulking human being in this, just just an absolute unit of a man. But, like, the the way that they, they handled that, that mental health and they have him be like, okay, yeah, he like got back in shape. He tried that. He won. He's going out there. He's winning these battles with ease, but like that just isn't, it's not what he needs. Like just succeeding in what you're doing is not going to make you a happier person. And a lot of the times it is like the other people in our life that make us happy and that like make us feel fulfilled. I mean, like AC, like you have a family, right? And like, probably 99% of your happiness comes from the family, you know? And I mean, like, not that we don't all have families. Jake also has a family. Don't worry, listeners. But like, (laughs) no, no, I, I actually, I, they based Kyle XY on me. I don't have a family. (laughs) (laughs) Or a, or a belly button. I feel like that, that was a thing, right? Yeah, of course that I never saw (laughs) Kyle XY. The only thing I know about it is he doesn't have a belly button. Yeah, me too. That was all the promotional material. (laughs) Um, but yeah, to, to sort of wrap up my point, cause I could talk right. about it forever. Just like the, the fact that the arc for the main character in this movie is that he needs to figure out like who he is and he needs to surround himself with the right people and realize like what it is he loves. And like that finding that purpose is sort of the key to, um, you know, just being happier in life and kind of working at that mental health. Uh, and that is something that you do just constantly have to work at. Like, I was so happy to see that in this movie. And I, I'm so happy to see Thor, like, loosening up and just have being being that, like, lovable himbo who also has, like, severe depression on and off, you know? Mm-hmm. That's always great. <laughs> there are some wonderful parallels. And the more I thought about it today after seeing the movie, there are wonderful parallels with Doctor Strange and how the both of these movies have these characters kind of forced to confront certain aspects of their personalities. And while you have a, a very powerful villain who you're fighting, it doesn't turn into um, it, it. The movie, both movies don't lose sight of the con- the inner conflict that each character is going through, which I thought was interesting because in a lot of instances, these movies are kind of defined by like, oh, I have to defeat the villain, and the villain is kind of like just um, in lockstep with what the with what the person is going through. But I feel like they used the Gore the God Butcher adaptation here um, in a way that doesn't step on Thor the character, but simultaneously it's great action. So you have a good balance of the two as opposed to having one overpower the other. Mm. And I felt like they were both able to exist in a way that that makes the film that still has the perspective of Thor learning about himself, but then also at the same time having some badass fights. Because this is kind of the point of these comic book movies is to have some badass fights. So, And I, I, I think it's yeah, important that the, that the Thor's development 
and the actual plot against Gore end up dovetailing at the end. Because I think that a lot of times you can, with big action or sci-fi movies, you can have a character go through personal development and also happen to be going through a action movie at the same time. And like while they that was happening for most of the movie, Thor's cathartic, you know, and his character, his growth at the end is integral to him. To, to the way that the movie is resolved. So it's like, not only does Thor feel better and is he at a better place at the end of the movie, he also would not have been able to defeat Gore in the way he did if he did not go through the character development. So the fact that they go hand in hand and aren't just separate things, I think was really nice. Because I, I, th- I love good a- action set pieces and I love, you know, when the MCU does something really creative. But ultimately, almost all these villains are going to be defeated by something internal of the characters. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's very rare that you're going to see a movie where the villain gets beaten because the good guy just punches hard enough. You know, it has something to do with their inner strength and that, that the fact that that's what it was, that it wasn't as simple as him just like hitting Gore with the hammer and being like, ha ha, I vanquished you. Um, that, that, that was really nice. I thought that the the last bit was really, you know, powerful because it had two really cathartic moments for both characters. Yeah, and I think the and and now that you you mentioned that part, like the lo- the idea of being scared to really love and put yourself out there because you feel like you're going to lose somebody, and it again happens here. But the difference is is the idea of choice, as for Jane in this instance, because Thor is kind of like desperate to wanting to protect her and keep her alive, but. It ends up being Jane uh, through her own courage and and inner strength that either way, like she loves Thor and that's all good and well. But at the same time, like for her, um, she was worthy. She was worthy of Mjolnir. And the fact that we get to see that in action is just, again, like another example of you want to talk about good storytelling and that's how you want your stories to be told. Um, that's where that type of stuff hits for me. And this is where like any quibbling I feel like people will do about like the humor and the balance or lack thereof there. Um, I would probably, I would probably disagree with because I do think that you kind of have to understand that when, especially when Tyka's, you know, doing what he's doing, you're gonna get your humor. That's just the part of the. That's just the part of the story. Like it's just going to be there. So I just think, oh, like the messaging, um, in that sense between both Jane and Thor was great. But there are so many fun parts in this movie that I know that I wanted to talk about this. And don't worry, Jake. We will get to Cork because there is a Cork. I understand. I wasn't chomping at the bit. I don't want anyone to think that over this video screen that I was like holding up a photo of Korg. I'm patient. <laughs> His eyes were holding up a photo of Korg. <laughs> that's all that it took. <laughs> there is a performance that I want to talk about here right now because it's been on my mind a lot since I saw this movie. So we there's a certain point at this movie where we get to uh, we get to a I think a certain planet where all the gods are. It's I believe um, it's omniscient. Um, is it omnipotence city or omniscient city? I always get those two words. Confused. Omnipotence, uh, omnipotence, omnipotent city. Yeah. Omnipotent um, city, which is there you go. Really hard to say a lot of times. Yeah, <laughs> and that's why I let you say it. Um, 
So they get to this city and we see Zeus with the Thunderbolt. Russell Crowe. I was this not expecting you. I was not expecting this to go in the direction of Russell Crowe. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, I thought we were going to go to Gore, but I'm happy to talk about this. I thought no, for sure you were about we, to bring up Tessa Thompson. I don't know about Russell Crowe, because I think that this, once I was talking about to be divisive, I think this might be the most divisive performance that will ever be in an MCU movie. <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, which, this is the thing about it. And yes, we will have plenty of time to talk about Gore and Valkyrie and stuff like that later. Mm-hmm. This Zeus performance was amazing. Yeah, oh, thank absolutely. God. I, I, I was so nervous you were about to be upset. Yes. I was like, nah, it was so good, dude. Because the reason I why I say it's could good. not stop laughing the entire time. The voice, the mannerisms. I can't believe he's like. But you know what's great? Shitty Greek he, I can't believe he did that. <laughs> yeah, he's out there like he's out there like doing a like a Mario bit, but also when yes, yes. when he really wants to. Like when, like when he does the close up with Thor, when we see him in the mid credit scene, it's like, oh, he can, all, he can still do that voice and kind of be intimidating at yeah. the same time. Which I was also kind of surprised. Like, I was like, he's not even fully a joke. He's just this is the character choice that's been made, and we're rolling with it. <laughs> I just it, it. Oh my god! The reason why I say it's gonna be divisive <laughs> is because it's one of those things in pop culture where. I think the people who like it a lot and the people who hate it a lot will say the exact same things about it. <laughs> that like the reason I love it is why people aren't gonna like it. But I yeah. think that for what the point it was trying to make, because yes. I think it is very important for this movie to for Gore to be a dynamic character, they need to prove over and over again that the gods actually do suck. That they oh, yeah. are actually unworthy. Yeah. And that that in if there was a universe where all the gods were real and they all hung out together, they would actually be indifferent to the suffering of humans. And I think that the way that they play for humor, but it also is like in, in contrast to what we see at the beginning of the movie with Gore's daughter dying of thirst, it is a, it is thematically incredibly important to notice that the God of gods. Yeah. Just, just wants to have a party and just wants to, you know, Didn't have an his... orgy. Exactly, he wants to have an orgy. You are not uh, invited to the orgy anymore. A word I did not know you could say in PG thirteen movies. <laughs> I did not know you glad. could say it either. Also, something you definitely need a decent amount of hydration for. Yes, yes. and and the thing is, like, you just, I, I, that it got, and also the way he said it in his accent too. But just like. I think casting Russell Crowe is so perfect too because, as you mentioned, he can still be serious and have gravitas. But like, he n- no actor I think plays having let himself go better than Russell Crowe, and I just <laughs> yeah I, just, I, I the I skip mean, I, down the stairs. Oh my god! <laughs> oh yeah! Oh my god! That you know was what's so funny awesome. too is they like they <laughs> set that joke up in the marketing because in the the po- like Zeus's character poster they put yeah. like very poorly photoshopped something in over his legs and i remember talking to someone and being like joking that it was because he had really like funny legs or something and then when i actually watched the movie i was like oh that's legit what they were doing they were hiding the legs so that it would land when we all went to the theater (laughs) Mm. oh my gosh what a what a what a tremendous performance we'll we'll bring it back to zeus a little bit later so glad he's coming back too i'm so oh my god yeah 
Oh, um, what you call it? Yeah, the oh my gosh. So just so I could go on and on about it, but um, you mentioned Gore, uh, Gore the God yes. Butcher, played by one Christian Bale. This movie starts off with with uh with Gore and and Jake mentions the the plot detail of his daughter dying of thirst as he's praying to the gods uh for some answers and then he gets none and once he reaches he reaches what was the name of that uh what was the name of that god that they came upon uh does I don't anybody remember, happen to know Hunter was so, taking notes so he should know I was taking notes but <laughs> the problem I encountered both times I watched it is that Christian Bale really mumbles through that name. Mm-hmm. And it's fine. It's, it works in the performance. But in terms right. of someone who's trying to take notes, yeah. dude, I have no idea what he said. I know he's like the god of light. He's like a sun Normally, god. this is where I would look on IMDb. But the uh, I believe the actor who plays him is on the IMDb, but he does not have a role next to him. So Yeah, it's like Simon Russell Beale or something. But yeah, just I will say that like, god. the god that in the comics... Mm. Gore does also stumble upon like a golden god and then like an all black god who who is null right. and has like the symbiote and that's a whole other thing. But so like they do kind of keep it where he stumbles across a golden god and he kills the the golden god and that's like his first god kill and they call him like god of light or something in in the movie. I don't know as if his name is super important. It is said, but he just he really right. says it like, under his breath with a mouthful of yeah. fruit. So I, and I love the I it's a bit convenient that his daughter just died and he happened to stumble upon a sword that allows him to kill gods. But I think that like because of the economy of time and how we don't actually spend that much time with gore, I think it's very efficient to be like the, not just a bad thing, the worst possible thing happened to this guy. He says it to a God's face and the God importantly doesn't just say, I don't care. He laughs. Like why, why would you think I would care? Like, you stupid yeah and i think that that is what's that's what sets him off more than anything yeah right well i think that i'm i'm so glad especially on the second viewing i think that i gore really hit for me i mean so much of what happens in this movie works because everything is like it's like jake said earlier like it's just everything works so well together and like Things yeah. feel organic because other elements of the story are supporting it in ways that you don't eat, like, just happen so naturally. And Gore works, Gore, the tone of Gore is in such contrast to the rest of the movie. I mean, he, he's terrifying when he shows up, like, everything stands still in a, in a good mm-hmm. way. But, like, so much of what's happening with him is so symbiotic with everything else that's going on. Uh, you said, like, Thor's arc throughout the movie parallels gore so well and it's like gore the way that the the whole internal battle thing that you brought up being like thor could not have beat gore if he didn't go through what he went through and it was because like he was not gonna beat gore physically he had to reach the point where he could then tell gore give gore the lesson that he was learning exactly the whole movie and it all just happens so naturally and, and so beautifully, and I love it so much. But yeah, Christian Bell is his performance is just it's so good, and the parallels and all. I could, I mean, I could go on about it forever. But yeah. actually, we will go on for 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 a few minutes here because I I think Jig used the word uh, efficiency, and for somebody who I would say was not exactly like had a didn't exactly have a lot of screen time in this film. No. Um, 
I think he just chewed up the scenery and just like he mm-hmm. ate. Oh, yeah. he, like he like he got in there like every single time. Um, I will say this: like when he has the, when they're in the shadow realm and he has all of them tied up and he's and he's mm-hmm. talking and this it's, it reminds me of the God of Thunder books, um, where he's talking that shit. Oh my goodness gracious, the torture! Ooh, boy, I, making Thor having to call call Stormbreaker when he didn't want to call Stormbreaker at all. Ah, yeah. amen. Wonderful. I stuff. especially liked when he had the kids and he in the cage and he was like, did like a story time with them and he mm-hmm. was sitting there and just playing it goofy and decapitating the snake monster and I I love that scene especially both times I watched it I was like this is fantastic I love it I, so much I, and I think the reason why Christian Bale is such perfect casting and you need there are a lot of great actors who they could cast in a role like this and but not every great actor is built alike and I think in the torture scene specifically you have to have an actor that is so committed that because so much of the torture scene he is not saying anything there's such big pauses and such big just like to not be embarrassed or not want to I think there's a tendency with actors that like established actors playing a villain. There's a tendency to want to kind of motor mouth that we're just do like the talk, let the talking be the thing that makes you villainous. And he is just so content to just drag things out. And he's not embarrassed to be in that makeup and just be very, you know, deliberate with everything he's doing. And like, there's just complete, I think because of how zany and wacky the movie is, the fact that Gore, the Gore performance has 0% irony is I think the the contrast that makes the other stuff work. Like there, he is playing completely straight, and even if the other rest of the movie is silly, I don't feel like you ever have any illusions about the stakes of gore. Like even as jokey yeah. as the rest of the movie is, it's like, oh no, this dude's for real. Oh yeah, yeah. You kind of see it off the bat, like that initial fight scene where where Thor meets Jane for the first time, um, and. You could kind of already see Thor's trying to talk his way and get his jokes off in this, but like Gore is just um Gore's uh handing it to him and and we see that like kind of like throughout the movie. And Hunter, you mentioned that scene with the kids. Um, that was great too. Like I, I thought that Yeah, it was just one of those things where, you know, as we always know with the MCU and villains, they just tend to die because that's just like that's just how it goes. Um, this one, I think it was a story that fits the bill and I wasn't upset that that's, uh, the death is awesome. because it fits the yeah. story. It's motivated by the story that he can't have the cathartic moment he has at the end of the movie if he's not dying. That's, I think that's the whole thing. And also yeah. Christian Bale is not going to sign him. I was going to say, you're, you're also stupid. only getting Christian stupid. Bale for one movie. So like that, yes. that's, yeah, that's not be stupid. I, I, but, but I, I also think, like I said, that they also set it up early, like, even if he wins, the whole thing is he is going to die because the sword is killing him. So that's like, you're not surprised. Right. Okay. So, uh, right. Right. So, and yeah, so I, I overall, um, just a wonderful performance. Um, thing is just, uh, I'm glad that Christian Bale got to be in this movie and be in the MCU, uh, for this, even though he doesn't know what that is, um, which is totally <laughs> you gotta fine. You got to respect it. You got to respect it. Which is totally fine. Yes, Absolutely. Uh-huh. I mean, um, it was funny listening yeah. to him talk in like in press conferences and, and on like the interview circuit and stuff too, because like you would have Chris Hemsworth and Natalie Portman and Tessa Thompson like joking around and being like, oh, you're we all like going to the gym and like <laughs> Natalie was outlifting all of us. <laughs> and like, you know, it's fun and you enjoy it and you like it. 
But then they like ask Christian Bale a question and he's like, yeah, like I came on set and I was like, I'm not wearing that, but I will wear that. And you, this character, and he just like gets, he is so much more intense as a human being than <laughs> the rest of the cast. And it's not yeah. like he's like rude to any of them, but you just, you just feel it. It's so, it's so funny. It's entertaining as hell though. I'll, I'll be honest. Yeah, it kind of actually fits like the the whole shadow realm thing because it's just like a perfect like uh, something that definitely differentiates him from from the rest of everybody else. But uh, um, I kind of wanted to throw it around to like just other scenes that kind of stood out to you guys in the film that like were some of your top your top tops of the movie. Um, Jake, I know you. I'm sure you have plenty that you want to go to of certain bits. Uh, what hit for you? I think that the second play go around where we see the play in Asgard um, <laughs> it was really special. Uh, yes. Melissa McCarthy as hell. I was great. And a thing <laughs> that, uh, cause I took a friend of the show, Michael Springthorpe who would be here if he was not, uh, he's actually at a Shakespeare rehearsal for Romeo and Juliet on three Hunter and AC. What character do you think Michael Springthorpe is playing in Romeo and Juliet? One, two, three Mercutio. Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> It's just the most obvious thing in the world. Uh, but uh, so, he, but we both noticed that the perfect detail about it, and this is why you get the vibe that these are just people hanging out making a movie, that obviously Hell is by Melissa McCarthy, and they show like the stage managers come out for the bow. And when, you know, oh. Melissa McCarthy's husband, Ben Falcone, is the stage manager, which that <laughs> is not that interesting of a detail. But I think, it, like I said, it just goes to show the vibe of the movie where it's like, because like, this also during COVID, so I guarantee you Taika was like, oh, Melissa, you're in Australia, come over to our set, bring the whole family. And I also think the fact that we get um, Matt Damon's character yes. and uh, Luke Hemsworth's character talking about, yeah, that they're actual people who live in New Asgard was just wonderful. <laughs> I yeah, well, it's it. funny because they are Asgardians, which for me makes it even funnier. Because they were in, at like, they're from Asgard. Oh, yeah, they're they're, yeah which is, is like so much better, but yeah, no, I also love that scene. I, I also really like that Ben Falcone, like if you go on IMDb, he's also somehow they, it's known that he's in the movie, yeah. but they have him listed as like undisclosed role, which I, uh -huh. I just think is so funny because he's in the movie for 0.3 seconds. Just, I love, I love shit like that. And this is, this is man specifics of IMDb. Yeah. Just, I mean, phew, I can talk about it for hours and I won't because that is something that no one is interested in. <laughs> I actually love that they got an additional scene where we're in in um where they're mm -hmm. having the meeting um in the town hall situation and they're both talking about oh how do we play this like literally like how do we play this um I I enjoyed that we got to continue that a little bit as well um Hunter do you have a do you have another scene that that kind of stood out to you whether funny action packed otherwise. Right. I really love, oh God, there's so much in this movie that I, I really love. Um, a, a gag that I really like is the goats. Like I oh, think that yes. the goats are going to stop screaming at some point and they just double down no. on it and it never, and it, like when they hit the, specifically when it looks like they're really far away from the shadow world and then the boat hits it and it's like a beautiful, beautiful visual <laughs> one gag. Dumbest, and it, one of the dumbest of, visual gags I've ever seen. It's so good. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> and then there's like that split second of silence and then just, ah! like, it's so good. It's such a good gag. Um, that's not the one I really want to talk about. I just really needed to give that a shout out. No, shout out to the goats. They shout are the goats. The go they literally are the goats. And I, I, lo I love it so much. Um, 
God, I love... First of all, I think the action choreography in this movie is some of my favorite in the MCU. I, I especially really love that uh, Jane's hammer, like she can control Mjolnir in pieces, which I think is yeah. used to great effect yep. uh, multiple times. I think that the whole fight scene in Omnipotent City is just is really, really good. But I think when you brought it up, I got to go with my, my gut instinct, which it's funny for someone who has spent so much time talking about how much I love the absurdity of this movie. I think one of my favorite scenes is one of the like heartfelt sad ones, uh, mm-hmm. which is when Jane mm-hmm. is like, it really hits for Thor that Jane is dying and he's, they're like in the hospital and he's trying to convince her not to go, but she's yeah. like, not like I got to do it my way. Um, for whatever reason, I just, I really love that scene. I think it's really well written. I think it's really well acted. And I think it's, it's truly earned at that point in the movie for that to be happening. And then the way that it's so, beautifully sets up that final like the climax of everything and like gore's death and thor eventually accepting a daughter which is like a whole other huge thing and like just that scene i think is the emotional core of the the whole the whole shebang and i i loved it a lot and the subtext of that scene which i really like is that um while the fact that thor is immortal is a constant thing that's going on with jane and thor he is unable to actually comprehend the idea of like wanting to make the most of the rest of your life because he has no concept of that like he because he is immortal he can only think of life as something to be preserved whereas because jane is mortal she understands that there is more to life than just living as much of it as possible and i think that that is like a beautiful way of viewing the impasse between the two because like i said so many stories about an immortal person and a mortal person falling in love are like what are you gonna do when you grow old etc 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 but like the mortal person deciding to you know make the most of their life is just i i really enjoyed that i I also think the scene with jane and throw on the boat where she reveals yeah. she has cancer is really heartfelt. Yeah, yeah. And I think that the joke of like, uh, where she's like, what? No, I didn't say that. I was joking is funny. Um, because I like, I think Natalie Portman really plays it well. She, as she's saying it, she's like, well, I can't say I was joking about having cancer. Cause that's horrible. <laughs> but like, anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that they like, it is really stark how they, for two movies really didn't have any chemistry. And in this, it's like, how did that happen? They clearly have chemistry. Yeah. yeah I, you know, what's funny? Like, I, Hunter, you mentioned that scene in the hospital, and what I really like here is because they were able to do kind of like the flashbacks of how their relationship ended, it kind of gives you that backstory, and it kind of shows you that they were really heavily involved with each other for a while. Because yep. this is the thing about the the movies, you can only go into stuff so much, so even in the second movie, as there's distance between them and while they were reunited at the end it doesn't feel like chemistry wise it's um up to snuff in this film having that that entire scene play out the ending of their relationship and and the things that you mentioned jake about like an immortal and that type of thing and thor not being able to confront things and jane not being able to confront things here you now you get the character growth of both of them being able to confront uh, not only Jane with her mortality and Thor was uh, Thor with his immortality, but Thor the idea of holding on to to the idea of I don't want to get hurt, uh, and that for somebody so strong, not actually wanting to 
get hurt is just um it's just a fascinating uh story arc for thor considering everything that he's gone through to this point but being able to tell that story in a way that doesn't feel stale because even in you know infinity war and endgame you have the stuff with loki and and thor doubting himself um with uh you know talking to his mom and figuring out whether he's still worthy or not so like you have that story already but this movie continues on that in a new in a new way that i thought that was very well done so so yeah that that scene that scene definitely with jane was just like was just another one too uh jake all right like let's open it up it's cork time uh well no i feel like it'd be a disservice we gotta talk about valkyrie first i'm sorry she's way more important than cork and i love cork okay. he's, he's my best friend but i just want to say because this is, yes. I was, I wanted to search for this, but I forgot that the movie's not out. I need a new Asgard Kings basketball jersey. I need it yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tessa Thompson just looks so fucking cool in this movie. Yeah, um, oh, she's great. The suit look dope. The Phantom of the Opera rip sweater yep. dope. The new Asgard dope. But also, she just like. I like that she's she doesn't completely abandon like she's obviously much more put together than she was in Ragnarok, but you really do feel the tension of she doesn't want to be you know she doesn't like the bureaucracy things of being a leader, but also she does still care about these people, but yeah. she also likes to drink in the cinematic J. Blige like they're just a uh, a bit I don't know I thought that her she just is such hold a on. fun character hold on Jake yeah uh, the Mary J. Blige part. Shout out to Natalie Portman's very offbeat head nods there. That was just, <laughs> that was, what a nice touch because she was so offbeat there. In, in her defense, <laughs> although she would be offbeat anyway, 90% of the time, unless it's in the script, if a pr- person plays a song that is not referenced by name, they don't have the song selected when they feel in the scene. So I I think that she probably was just told to nod her head, but still, I understand your point. They should have uh, probably secured the rights when they're filming. I think it worked out perfect, personally. Yeah, 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 of course it did. There's no way that Dr. Jane Foster from freaking New Mexico has any sort of, you know... uh, Well, the the whole point, like, the the whole thing they keep trying to (laughs) hammer home in this is that... (laughs) Thank you, thank you. you. Uh, I do my best. But... You know, like she can't come up with a catchphrase. Like she, like she's good yeah. at saving people, right. but she doesn't really have that cool factor down fully. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, so that is that is a really nice touch that Valkyrie can just be like so chill with that, and Jane is <laughs> struggling to <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to vibe with it. Listen, man, Val, uh, Val, uh, Tessa Thompson, Valkyrie, whichever one you want to call it, uh, yeah, step on me, champion. Right, right, I mean, right. great stuff. I mean, and also, yeah, the bit too when they're loading essentials onto the boat and there's the keg. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a great touch too. No, yeah, but it, if, if, yeah, you go, go ahead, Hunter. I was going to say, I'm glad that you said it before me. <laughs> no, I mean, facts is facts. It's facts is facts. Really, and yeah. every time, both, each time I watch Tessa Thompson, like as Valkyrie in either movie, I like. I just. It's slightly more attracted. Like every single it's, time. It's I'm just like, yeah. I, it, as three straight guys, there's only so far I want to go with this, but it is truly yeah, just. That's like, why uh, I was nervous to bring. No, it up. I understand, but it is just like it's just the vibe, and it's just like <laughs> she is. I don't know. There's just. It's just a great character for that, and and I think because the MCU is obviously such a as 
I don't know, I might have spoken about it in the Wall Street Journal once. It's a very sexless series of movies. And I think that her character stands out because she's one of the few characters that has a, like, has a sexuality just in the performance. Yeah. And, um, I don't know, I think that if she just, she knows exactly what she's doing. And I, I'm sure that, you know, the... I can't talk about her in this movie without thinking about the photo of her, Taika, and Rita Ora. Um, so just, you know. <laughs> I thought about it when I was watching the movie, too, so you're not alone. I mean, one, of the, one of the greatest digressions in the history yeah, of this our, podcast. Go to our uh, Venom episode. We had a full 15 minutes because it was right after that photo came out. Man, it, 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 I, that was like, oh, like a year and a half ago. I feel like today, if that photo came out, we would actually just do a 15-minute emergency pod. We actually just devote a podcast to it. <laughs> I expect any any type of podcast like that, I expect to be a guest on. I, I, will... I just it's Also, Steph in that, when the, when the discussion turned to, and we'll get back to it, the fact that Rita Ora is just white, that became, that's where it got fun. But anyway, um so <laughs> but yeah so, Val's great but yeah she absolutely is and and now Jake we can properly give you your cork time well first of all um wait I'm wait, happy- wait 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 I'm okay. so I'm so sorry no, there's no, one no. more as the person who was sitting directly behind Jake yeah. when he watched this movie for the first time the the scene where and just because we're about to also talk about Korg and we just yeah. talked about Valkyrie the scene on the boat where Korg like perfectly runs down all of Valkyrie's like insecurities and issues. And he's just like, yeah, like, and that's (laughs) it. Right. And she just goes, yeah. And it's just like, that's (laughs) that was the hardest Jake laugh in the entire movie. Because I'll be honest with you. That is, (laughs) I joke a lot on, I, 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 my general writing note always. And it's the thing I go back to all the time because it's one of the few things I believe to my bones is that I think, for both dramatic and especially for comedic purposes, if you just make subtext text, it's funny. And Korg, rather than like having a conversation where they get to this moment, he just immediately like says like what the character notes are of like she's upset because she lost her friends at Balance. And the fact that her um that her uh immediate response is just yes is great. But the thing about Korg is uh <laughs> I I was so happy that he didn't die. Um, although I think that dramatically it would it would have been fine. I would have made peace with it. Um, proud parent now. The parent, yeah. That you know, uh, he Korg said gay rights. Um, although there they are they there are no females in a species. It seems like so it doesn't feel like uh, I don't know what that means. But I do love the way they, they explain how Cronin's mate is really funny to me that they hold hands in lava for a month. Um, which is like real geology to like explain. That fits Korg's <laughs> character because like. When you think of Korg, I, I'm just gonna say I can't imagine Korg having sex, but I can imagine him holding I someone's would never hand for a year. For being honest, <laughs> yeah, um, because, and the problem too, and like he he could go forever because he obviously is always rock hard. But um, yeah. uh, oh, bang, 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 <laughs> with the sniper rifle, um, yeah, Korg is now nah, when Korg literally lost lost himself there for a second. He was just a head for for. Mm-hmm. For for a stretch there, that was that was just some great stuff. Mm-hmm. I do love that he didn't know that. To. Where he's like, oh, I guess the only part of us that's alive is our head. He didn't know that. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's just, it was just tremendous. Um, yeah. Overall, this was a this was a this was a great film. But 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 we do have to get 
to uh, a couple of um, couple of things towards the end. So obviously Thor now has a a new uh, mini partner, uh, mm-hmm. Thor, and uh, so what's uh, Hunter? How, how did you feel about how this ended? And um, Thor now having future adventures, being a caretaker, father figure uh, to Gore's daughter. Uh, a couple things. First off, you guys are going to be able to add Thor to your next MCU daddy's uh, thing. I mean, and, you don't have to be a father in order to be in there. He's already on there. I think he, I don't want to spoil oh, what he okay, is. Okay, great. Oh, yeah, this daddy's a, thing is a little I different mean, than what you might be thinking. I, just, I don't want to say, like, you haven't listened, but we start off by saying that being a daddy is not a literal thing. It's a state of being, but that's whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, I listen, I listen to parts of it. But anyway, I am a sucker for, like, I don't, it's, it's happening in so many stories now, but if we're being honest, like I really can't get enough of like just good dad, like character mm-hmm. is good dad. Yeah. Like, I don't know, just that as a genre really works for me. Uh, you see him like the Mandalorian and Logan, or even like character who doesn't think they will be a good dad, but deep mm-hmm. down is a good dad, like in Logan or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, like I'm kind of pumped to see it it's a direction i truth going into the movie i was never expecting that it would no. end with like thor having no a kid. right but i'm not i'm so okay with it i mm-hmm. i'm so okay with it i'm so excited to see where it goes and even in that brief scene that they're together their dynamic is already so good oh um, yeah and yeah so i'm just i'm very curious how that where we go next with that Mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking of going next, this film did have two um after credit scenes, one mid ah. one post. Uh the mid credit scenes in- involved uh, we assume that Zeus might have been offed by Thor, but no, he is alive and well and uh he's he's given that talky talk talking about, "Hey, we're going to have to show these people who we really are as mm-hmm. gods." And what we see is um we see Zeus's son Hercules and uh, Hunter, Ew. can you t- can you tell me who is playing Hercules? That is Mr. Brett Goldstein. Uh, most people know him from Ted Lasso. Uh, he's one of like the fan favorite actors from there. But honestly, I I know him from a lot of other things. But that's just because that's the kind of person I am. He he's also a, so he started out as a writer. Like he's done acting, but at heart he's a writer. He did this uh, great little british comedy film called super bob that i I really really like um but yeah he is he is playing oh he also has a podcast that that's really good where he he's just like this huge cinephile in real life and he has like a whole podcast where he just talks about it so you can be a podcaster and a movie star jesus christ stay stay in your lane man i know he does he does he has like a super successful i'm blanking on what it's called right now but it's it's really good um yeah, so that's Mr. Brett Goldstein, and I'm really excited to have him around. Uh, he, let, let me say this. He has the chest hair for Hercules, and mm-hmm. that's that's very exciting, because Hercules is a traditionally hairy character, and, and this mm-hmm. is a hairy man. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm glad I'm glad that it's all working out. But he, I'm excited, because he's got, he's got that balance of, like, he can play a bit of a grumposaurus. Like, I can picture him going up and challenging Thor and being like, I am the strong one here! But he's also so charismatic and charming, and like he's gonna kill it. He's gonna he's gonna be a, a perfect Hercules, I think. And uh, Jake, how about you? We seem to seemingly have our Thor five setup. I think that this is a great direction for them to go because once they introduce the idea of all the other cultures' gods being real, I think an inevitable thing you have to do 
is do God v. God. And I also think that like Hercules is such a famous character in even just modern movies and TV. And so to make him the antagonist is just awesome. Um, and like not in like a Kevin Sorbo now tweets COVID conspiracies antagonist way in like a he's a bad guy <laughs> movie. You know, I, I will say I think it's interesting because there's really no like Hercules was a recurring character in the Thor comics for a long time. And him, but him and Thor have mostly been friends. Like when they first meet, there's like a misunderstanding and they have a a brief scuffle, but then almost immediately they're like, oh, let's be pals. We have a lot in common. Mm -hmm. And then they just, they, they're mostly friends. Like anytime they fought, it's been because like the Enchantress was mind controlling Hercules or, or something like that. There's really no like Asgard versus Olympus major event in the Mm -hmm. comics for them to pull from, which almost makes me wonder if the next movie will will kind of go that route where they start with Hercules showing up and being mm. like, well, my dad says I have to fight you, mm. and he fights him, but then almost immediately they're like, yeah. wait a second, we're actually going to be bros, and then there's a different, like, Hercules uncle Pluto is like a guy they've teamed up to fight a few times. There's like a whole Chaos War storyline with the God Squad where like Hercules assembles a team of famous gods sort of like what thor mentions doing in this movie and they all fight against the like chaos king from japanese culture it's like this whole this whole thing so i almost wonder if it's going to be more like that but i am just very excited to see hercules uh, mm-hmm. show up in more things especially with it, Reckles. it should be very exciting and i'm mainly i'm happy that we got the thor will return at the end of this mm-hmm. so yeah. that was that was um cool to see but uh we did get one more uh post credit scene where Jane enters Valhalla and we see our good pal Heimdall uh, there. This was nice. Um, I mm. had, a, had a nice little grin on my face. Jake, um, how did you feel about this scene? I felt great. I, I you know, expected it when they set up the whole, when they, re- when they restated the whole thing about dying in the battlefield gets you into Valhalla. And I think it's a really nice thing to do for Jane. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm glad to see Heimdall again. And uh, I don't know. I, I I know Hunter has a theory on this, so I don't want to speak too long. Oh, yeah. I it's less of a theory and more of like it just seems so mm-hmm. perfectly set up. That that second after credit scene felt to me like almost like an option for Natalie Portman, where they're like, "Well, this is like a nice, like a sweet ending for your character." And like, if mm-hmm. she doesn't want to come back or they decide they don't want to use that character anymore, like mm-hmm. it can just be a really nice end for her. Um, I will say there is a comic book written by Jason Aaron, so the same guy who wrote the Mighty Thor comics and all that sort of stuff, that it is kind of currently happening, but started at the beginning of COVID. Uh, The whole plot of that comic book is that after Jane loses Mjolnir and is like about to die, instead she ends up being granted the powers of the Valkyrie. Um, and she hmm. actually becomes the first in the next generation of Valkyrie, like after Brunhild and everyone that we, mm-hmm. you know, like the Valkyrie we see in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that comic, specifically, the character who becomes her partner is a recently deceased Heimdall who is like wants to go on a, another adventure because he's low key bored with Valhalla. So she like yeah. takes his spirit and he becomes her kind of like mentor slash partner as a Valkyrie. And I was like, it's just, it was so funny to me. Cause I'm like, okay, so they've put her in Valhalla. The person that she seems to be buddying up with is, is Heimdall. And like, you know, it, it speaks for itself, but I, I just, I did pick up on that as a comic that is currently happening right now from the same writer who wrote mighty Thor and, and all that. And I was just like, they really could, if they wanted to make that like mm. a Disney plus spinoff or a subplot mm. in 
five or however that plays out. Like I could see them doing yeah. it, but it, it doesn't feel like it's going to happen per se, but yeah. More than anything, you always are conscious of the choices they make with characters that they are. It is a choice to have that scene there. So you know that in some ways Jane is still on the board. They never have to use her, but it is yeah. you in things like this, you need to, you should always be conscious of who dies from falling and you don't see their body, of who you see the body of, of who you see go yeah. to another realm. Like you gotta always be paying attention to that. Yeah, I think the I think that was a that was a great scene. And I'm yeah, I'm very intrigued to see uh what they do going forward. But I do say again, it's a testament to the film, and maybe it's more of my watching space these days with the MCU things, that I was able to enjoy this film for what it is and yeah. not really care too much about like what's up next, even though that's what yeah. they do. But I feel like they weren't heavy-handed with it. They just give you a nice little tease. And, um, you know, ready to go for the next film. It's funny enough, we didn't get enough, uh, we didn't have a, get enough time for me to mention the Guardians at the beginning of this movie. Oh my God, we don't yeah, s- I didn't even talk about that. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we didn't get to see a lot of them. So I'll let you guys just go quick um, before I go into outros. But uh, yeah, Jake, give me a quick... Uh, I mean, I, I knew that, I think people were kind of over-expecting how much they were going to be in there. They were in it exactly as much as I thought they were. They were in it enough to explain why he's not with them anymore. And that's all I needed, honestly. Got you. And and Hunter, how about you? Uh, yeah, same here. I think that a lot of people thought they were going to be like supporting characters, part of his team, the whole movie. And that's just not like they were there. They they did. I enjoyed that they had Star-Lord kind of like set up his journey exactly. in the movie. Like they, yes. they were there enough to like tell you where Thor is post Endgame and then dip. And I was just I was OK with that. I It was fun. And I just I love those characters, especially Rocket and Groot and Nebula. So seeing them like interacting with the goats and just like the chaos of the guardians was, I enjoyed that. No worries. There will be plenty more to talk about from us on Thor. I'm sure there'll be a mailbag. I'm sure there'll be an extra thing Mm -hmm. as Jake mentioned earlier. Um, And the guardians, we're going to see them again later this year in the holiday special and guardians three is coming next year. So we have that, but Thor love and thunder uh, was a wonderful film, which, Mm -hmm. um, We'll definitely be talking about more. I want to thank uh, Hunter for joining us uh, once again and providing us with his thoughts. Uh, Hunter, where can we follow you, my friend? Uh, you can follow me on all social media at HRadesi, R-A-D-E-S-I, just my last name, uh, 14. Uh, I post and I write and everything. Everything is going to be at that at, so... Awesome, awesome stuff. Jake Christie, where can we follow you, sir? You can follow me at the Jake Christie and on Twitter. And I do just want to note that this movie, we didn't talk about it. It answered one of the most lingering questions of the whole MCU, which is, has Heimdall had raw intercourse? And the answer is yes. <laughs> More to be continued, <laughs> to be continued. Um, You could also follow me at Anthony Canton underscore three on Twitter. Follow the show at MC University Pod. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com, MC University Pod. Get in the Discord and get any bonus content that we have coming out. Uh, Trust that there will be some talk on Only Murders in the Building as as, uh, the season (laughs) continues. I'm looking forward to talking about that with Shivani. Uh, Jake will be on with uh, with us too now that he's watching the show. Um, But yeah, keep supporting, keep following, and trust we will be back with more Thor Love and Thunder content. So for Hunter and Jake, I'm Anthony Canton III. This has been Marvel Cinematic University, and we will talk to you next time.